0: Welcome to the panel discussion, Technology Risk Management, Driving Federal Mission, Business, and Risk Decisions with Real-Time Data, sponsored by Tanium. Here's today's moderator, Jason Miller.
1: Welcome to the discussion. My guests today are Jeff Schilling, the Chief Information Officer for the National Cancer Institute at the National Institutes of Health, Nicole Puri, the Chief Risk Officer for the Bureau of Fiscal Service at the Treasury Department, Ted Okada, the Chief Technology Officer at FEMA in the Homeland Security Department. Major General Maria Barrett, the Commander of Army Network Command, and Ralph Kahn, the Vice President of Federal Fortanium. Welcome to the discussion, everyone. Before we get started, let me set a little context for our discussion. The idea and application of enterprise risk management has taken off across the government over the past four plus years. The Office of Management and Budget made it a requirement in the 2016 update of Circular A123. Now, while it's nice to have a circular that tells you to do something, new data actually shows agencies are seeing the value of risk management. The Association of Federal Enterprise Risk Management found in a new survey that just under 83% of all respondents say they're working in an agency that has a formal ERM program. That's up from 77% a year ago. A firm says the top three benefits of enterprise risk management are enhanced decision-making, reduced duplication of risk assessments or compliance activities, and the prevention of negative events from occurring. Now, no surprise, respondents say cybersecurity and privacy risk remain the area that needs most management attention, while operational risk and human capital risk round out the top three. This brings us to today's topic, technology risk management. It's really a subset of enterprise risk management and is gaining more attention across government as what I'll call non-IT executives realize just how critical the role of IT can play, especially in their mission areas and what we've seen over the last nine months of the pandemic. TRM applies risk management methods to the technology of an organization like cloud and mobile devices. And today's panel is going to tell us how TRM enables their IT teams to make faster risk management decisions and hopefully move with more agility to reduce the likelihood of disruptions from occurring. Once again, my guests are Jeff Schilling, the Chief Information Officer at the National Cancer Institute, Nicole Puri, the Chief Risk Officer for the Bureau of Fiscal Service, Ted Okada, the Chief Technology Officer at FEMA, Major General Maria Barrett, the Commander of NetCom, and Ralph Kahn, the Vice President of Federal at Tanium. I'm going to do something a little different for our panel. Usually I start with our government guests, but today I'm going to start with Ralph over at Tanium. I think technology risk management is one of those terms that maybe we hear about. We think we know what it is. It gets confused with, as I said, enterprise risk management or gets folded into it. So Ralph, just kick us off. How do you all define technology risk management and what are some of the key things people really should keep in mind as during our conversation today?
2: So um, technology risk management is the ability to take stock of the technology you use to accomplish your mission, understand how you've implemented it, put the right metrics in place to understand that it's doing what you need to do for you, and then um, kind of get a feedback loop going where you can say, okay, I've got it set the way I want it, and it's staying there, right? It is actually performing the way I expect it to perform. And so when you are able to collect good data about what you're doing and then kind of cross-reference that against other vectors. So there's cyber risk. Is the way you're operating something increasing the risk that you may get um, hacked by an adversary or the risk that it may be down from time to time, right? Because with a mission, the idea is if you're using technology, it should be as available as the mission needs it to be available. Cost is another risk. Um, It's very common that organizations uh, kind of do what I would call Uh, tool roulette right they buy lots of different tools some of them they're implementing effectively some of them they're not and that costs the organization money and that's money and resources that could be used for something else um, if you're not really using the thing that you have so understanding what an organization is using what it's using it for and whether the investment that you're making is appropriate is another kind of risk that comes with technology risk management so those three kinds of areas operational risk is it Available security risk? Is it opening you up to threats, uh, and then financial risk? What's the opportunity cost of the way you're doing things? And if you did them a little more effectively or efficiently, could you um, use that money and those resources for something else that would help the mission?
1: I think that's a great place to start, and I appreciate the the setting that that basic understanding of what we're talking about today, because again, uh, I think people think of risk in so many different ways. And, and this is really the umbrella that, the, as you said, operational security, financial can fit under. Let me move over to, to uh, Major General Barrett from Army NetCom. DOD has been known, and the Army specifically, has been known for, for many years to, to really look at risk. And, and, but, but what we're talking about today is maybe looking at risk from a different perspective, as, as you heard Ralph talk about. Uh, Major Barrett, talk a little bit about how the Army NetCom is, is taking this technology risk management approach.
3: so when we think about the technology risk we've got a lot of mission owners who are inserting technology using technology to accomplish their mission the business processes of the army uh, the enterprise which is really where a lot of my focus is uh, and then we can't forget you know the warfighting function and so when they are inserting the technology that accomplishes their mission uh, we we have to take a look at um, how that fits in with the overall risk profile. So, so no surprise, the Department of Defense uses the risk management framework to do that. They take a look at the people, the processes, and the technology. But I want to highlight um, a couple areas. Um, one, I would really stress, where where is the environment that this technology is going to exist? Is it on your public-facing uh, part of your network, or is it behind a defense-in-depth um, part of your network that is really not as accessible to um uh to hackers and so that's it's an oversimplification but we have to we have to think about the environment that you're you're planting that technology in how how critical is this a life safety or are soldiers um actually executing Uh, their warfighting function off of this. That changes the risk profile as well in terms of uh, the performance. So Ralph Kahn mentioned the performance of this. You know, this one needs to be performing all the time and can't take a degradation. I I think the other thing too is is as we do this risk management framework and apply this in the deployment of a technology, uh, we can't forget that the assessment has to be continually because there is no product that I know of that has never found a vulnerability once it's been developed. Um, it, it, we, we have to be um, uh, cognizant and our system has to accept that we will continually have to modify the products that exist in our network. And so I consider part of that risk is can I monitor this technology in some way? Uh, because if I can't monitor it, that changes my risk calculus as well. And and so um, I would emphasize that too. If I can't see it and if I can't understand its behavior, what normal looks like, uh, that's something that I have to fold into my decision-making uh, in terms of how we configure this when we put it into our environment. And
1: just a quick follow-up, how much are you using, or I should say, where does this calculation play into kind of your strategy for technology risk management. Is it in every acquisition? Is it in every project, every program? Or is it on the front end and then also on the back end? Give me a sense of the strategy around it.
3: Clearly on the acquisition side of the house, we, they are doing uh, uh, this type of assessment in the development of their solution. At the point where they do come in to bring it to the network, um, we'll take a look at what they've done, um, assess it, and and bring it on to the network. And then, after that, um, either a, a program manager is can end um, us because we're taking a look at the threats. And so this is now a continuous conversation of us taking our threat picture uh, and communicating to the mission owner hey, you now have to make an adjustment with your with your solution, with your technology in order to adapt to the threat. And that is a continual conversation that we have. Um, uh, uh, it, it is daily.
1: Let me shift over to Ted Akato from FEMA, since we're talking a little bit about technology and this idea of making assessments and looking at the technology and understanding it ted how how are you in the cTO role for FEMA using technology risk management and how are you how does it fit into the broader effort by FEMA to ensure what you're buying and how what you're using meets your needs
4: yeah that's a great question you know um, you know fundamentally you know I'll just reverse that in the sense that um, you know uh, we at FEMA have to produce outcomes effectively right for citizens and disaster survivors so um you know, we have a simple mission, uh, uh, help people before, during, and after disasters um, in our strategic plan. Uh, we look at, you know, uh, uh, creating a culture of preparedness in, in, the, in the nation, uh, prepare for catastrophic disasters, as well as reducing complexity. So part of the, the mandate within our technology cone is to reduce complexity. Um, I think as the previous presenters have sort of mentioned, you know, there's an element of, for us, I think, uh, not just processes, uh, 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 people processes, technology that are measurable and manageable, but also repeatable, sustainable, and scalable, right? Because we have to be fairly elastic in how we respond and how we partner with uh, other federal agencies as well as the as the, the private sector, uh, business community, as well as uh, uh, citizens and citizen groups. So um, I think the central thing is to wrap that up into you know, processes that, for example, are related to total business management, TBM. You find uh, a lot of uh, uh, TRM embedded uh, within the larger business management, uh, gaining clarity and reducing risk. Um, you know, part of it is also leadership, quite frankly. Um, you know, um, Alan Mullaly, the chairman of Ford, uh, famously is, was known famously for saying, you can't manage a secret. Uh, and uh, Colin Powell you know, also said equally famously, uh, bad news is not like wine, it doesn't get better with age, you know, and there's a, there's a leadership component to that, right? There's a sense that, um, you know, if your people stop bringing problems to you, you've ceased meeting them. So in effect, there's uh, both an HR leadership component, there's also processes that are measurable, manageable, repeatable, sustainable, and scalable. Uh, and uh, in addition to all the, the other risks we're talking, I think there are also elements related to um, uh, I think misunderstandings often when uh, private sector people join government about return on investment versus concepts in, uh, related to technical debt. Uh, and uh, we can certainly talk about it a little bit more, but uh, I'll just stop there.
1: I'm interested just to explore, maybe and we may do this later, but real quick, you mentioned uh, total business management, TRM is folded in there. That's the idea of you're, you're looking at how much something is costing you. How, why is it costing us this? And then what's the risks as part of that total cost structure? Do I want I to explain that correctly?
4: Yeah, and I think I'll uh, just to expand on the, this other notion of technical debt, right? Typically, we define technical debt as the general cost of replacing something divided by the operation and maintenance, right? And so in a lot of technology startups, you find that ratio quite low because they leverage really modern technologies like cloud computing and so forth. Um, and, um, you know, in a lot of our government systems, we, you know, it's pretty antiquated. You've got, you've you got cobalt running uh, in some systems, uh, but what's the ROI? Well, it's like, you know, 70, you know, 7,000 times the original investment. So uh, was there ROI? Yeah, but is that ultimately producing an outcome, right? Uh, a positive outcome, a mission outcome for, uh, for citizens and survivors? So. Uh, examining the need or balancing the need for how to manage technical debt as well as return on investment uh, is always that tension, I think, and um, many of our organizations uh, uh, are kind of wrestling with it within our, our, our own sort
2: of mission sets. You know, one of the, one of the things we've noticed is we, you, you mentioned technical debt, Ted, and one of the things we've noticed as we work worked with a lot of government agencies is there is an awful lot of technical debt um. When the government goes through the acquisition process, one of the questions they rarely ask is, "What does it take to sunset this when I'm done with it?" Right. And and that is a risk that oftentimes is overlooked when uh, organizations are looking to implement a new capability. And then you know several um, years or two uh, later, then they want to you know sunset it. And there are plenty of examples of this across uh, across government. Everybody's got it. Um, and you know, one of the things I I hope that folks begin to ask is, okay, you know, if I'm putting this in place, how would I sunset it? And then when you look at your processes, there is a a Navy captain I worked with four or five years ago who made an observation I thought was really interesting. Um, He talked about the words false rigor and how in the Navy, they built up so much process around things the way they used to work that it would add a significant amount of risk just in terms of the delay of the information getting to the right people. And that by the time the information got where it needed to be, it wasn't really actionable anymore because it wasn't, you know, it wasn't timely. So those are two risks that I think, um, and that, that goes back to kind of what general Barrett was saying in terms of continuous monitoring, if the information flow isn't allowing you to get that continuous perspective about what's going on, you run the risk of making decisions based on information that's not accurate enough.
1: Nicole, jump in here. Cause I want to come back around to this broader discussion. I think, uh, the issues that Ralph and Ted brought up around technical debt is, is a the part of the IT conversation. But when we take a half a step back, we're also talking about the risk conversation as the chief risk officer for the Bureau of Fiscal Service. How does technology risk play into your broader look at, at enterprise risk?
5: Yeah, actually, it, it plays in significantly because a lot of what we do, we're, we're largely an operations um, center, right? We, we manage a lot of the operations for main treasury. So, technology is something that we rely on heavily and um, that we have focused on actually almost exclusively in the past. So, what is, I think, what has been happening, um, what we've seen a real push towards in the last year or so, is to start looking at how we can use technology to further our overall goals, right? So we've, we've been putting forward some specific efforts rather than to look at modernization efforts for our technology, which are also very much needed, but how can we start looking five or 10 or further years down the road towards what we think is going to be needed and what are the risks around um, us being able to accomplish those things? So the big question there is investment, right? Where do we invest our money Um, and do we have to, you know, what trade-offs are we going to have to determine in order to get where we're trying to go? Um, And so that has been I think we've been putting structures in place internally to be able to make those decisions. Um, we have an investment board that goes through every technology. It's I don't have all the exact you know, details of how it works, but um, to simplify, basically, it looks at major investments for the bureau um, and makes a decision about whether this is something we're gonna do this year or in future years or not at all. Um, and we have an architecture board that works closely with the investment board. So we can, Um, You know, by working together, help make those decisions. And then I serve as an advisor on uh, within that group. And I also serve as an advisor on our Data Governance Council. So we're putting these pieces into place to start being able to really integrate how we look at all of these functions, how we gather the information to make the right decisions, and um, also having a, a future vision that is more than just in the next two years. So you kind of answered my
1: question because the follow, my obvious follow-up is where do you fit into these boards? You serve as an advisor, but how, how do you ensure that they understand what risks they are facing and then that goes into their decision-making process?
5: Yeah. So um, the one piece I didn't mention was, of course, we have a a fairly robust risk management process. Um, I think where we are still working on is how we fully integrate that with all of the decision making. Um, You know, right now we look at, we ask our, we ask our different areas to um, identify risks, including technology, risk data, all of these other things. Um, And then we, we sort of still look at them a little bit as one-offs. We're getting, trying to get better at how do we think about these things as a whole and also think about how other risks impact these decisions like customer experience, because that's a really big goal for us. So we have to weigh a a customer experience impact to a decision um, as much as we have to weigh an investment. Um, And so we, so I I am leading those conversations within the Bureau and we are starting to um, get to a position where we're going to be able to identify and Make decisions at the very top levels of the organization, so that that can be more easily integrated with our budget decisions and, and our investment board, and so on. And
1: Jeff, jump in here because I, I, obviously you've been patient waiting. Talk a little bit about uh, National Cancer Institute and NIH, how you guys are looking at technology risk management.
6: Well, I will say the the panel you've assembled today is exceptional. <laughs> I'm learning a lot, and I'm taking a lot of notes. So uh, I mean, I would say uh, for us, it's really been mainly around the financial part. The the operational part, I think, is very clear for us. We're not as large as some of these uh, efforts that are going. And I don't think we have the the complexity uh, of FEMA or or the DOD in terms of having to operate in all these different theaters and under all these different circumstances. I think the part that's pushed on us is we have a very vastly or quickly changing mission. The, the, the research mission is moving very, very quickly. And now, it, you know, this is our time, right? This pandemic is our time to actually you know, put these things in place. I think the, it's worth saying that the risk management that's been done in IT has paid great dividends because as soon as the pandemic hit, there was only one green on the board at, at, at the NCI, and that was IT. And it was because all of the work we had done through all the COOP planning and a lot of this risk assessment that paid, that paid off. And that, that, that did not go unnoticed. And so uh, uh, the, the thing that I really do see is that as we we're able to bring this uh, discussion of needing more resources or needing uh, the appropriate resources, the risk framework helps the leadership understand what we're talking about. Because they otherwise they get, might get confused or really you need even more storage, you really need even more of this. But we could say, well, our mission is to share all this genomic data uh, or share all this serology data, the data that's going to be going uh, uh, about the uh, the vaccine f- efficacy. Well, how are we going to do that efficiently, cost effectively, and and not think of it technically, just think of it as risk. What happens if it goes down? Well, if it's down for a day, maybe that's okay. Hospital data, would that stuff be, you know, that stuff might might mean a much higher level of of a of a, uh, availability, which is what uh, Major Barrett was talking about. So, I think this really has given us a framework where, while risk itself is nebulous, the discussion of the types of scenarios that may happen are very simple to to, to describe. And so, uh, I, I think that's been it's been very, very helpful to us. I think the other thing that's worthwhile noting is that it, we've been able to put it at NIH. They've been able to put in some uh, financial modeling. Um, and in terms of governance and things like that, that can address the risk of the way the NIH is funded. So uh, places like the National Cancer Institute have a, have a, are a well-funded organization, but our infrastructure is very poorly funded. So this has allowed us to say, well, that is causing a risk to everyone. Let's put some of our funding there and we've been able to do that with some, some central funding models and some capital improvement funds that normally weren't, wouldn't happen before. So I think everybody saw the risk, but there was really no framework to bring it forward and address it that we have today.
1: What Jeff is talking about here sounds to me like a data problem, which we're going to get to in the next segment. So let's take a quick break. You're listening to the discussion, Technology Risk Management, driving federal mission, business and risk decisions with real-time data, sponsored by Tanium on Federal News Network.
0: Today's networks are more complex than ever before, and endpoints no longer reside solely within the bounds of the network firewall. The mission is executed beyond the perimeter. Compute is mobile. This complexity is driving increased risk across federal enterprises, but Tanium gives you the power to manage that technology risk with a single view of every endpoint, the power to identify and prioritize risks, and the power to take action to remediate in real time. Learn more at Tanium.com.
1: Welcome back. You're listening to the discussion Technology Risk Management Driving Federal Mission, Business and Risk Decisions with Real-Time Data, sponsored by Tanium on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guests today are Jeff Schilling, the CIO at the National Cancer Institute at the National Institutes of Health. Nicole Puri, the Chief Risk Officer at the Bureau of Fiscal Service at the Treasury Department. Ted Okada, the Chief Technology Officer at FEMA in the Homeland Security Department. Major General Maria Barrett, the Commander of Army Network Command and Ralph Khan, the Vice President of Federal at Tanium. Right before break, we heard Jeff talk a little bit about data and this idea of really having some modeling and having the data to really drive decision-making. And really, that's what we're talking about when you talk about technology risk management, the data piece. So let me turn to Ted for a second. Ted, give me a sense of FEMA as a data organization. In fact, I guess we're all data organizations now for, in, in, in all regards. How are you, all, at FEMA, using the data to drive decisions and how do you make sure you have the right data to drive those best decisions?
4: Yeah. So I just wanted to give kudos to, uh, um, Nicole Puri, um, in the previous segment, because she was spot on when she said, you know, ultimately decisions lead to outcomes. Uh, and, um, just want to riff on that because, uh, in effect, that's, that's absolutely correct. And so data, you know, and analytics, specifically the analytic products. Um, and I think as, um, General Barrett mentioned that these products have to be, you know, sort of continuous diagnostic, uh, continuous monitoring, continuous delivery. They can't be sort of static products. So um, that's really central. I think uh, what Jeff um, uh, mentioned in the previous segment as well is how how do these data products or analytical products produce scenarios or effectively a narrative? Um, because if you can't believe the narrative. Um, you don't have trust. And if you don't have trust, uh, that's really the, the coin of the realm in terms of being able to uh, evoke change. Um, uh, because in fact, you know, CIO or IT organizations don't exist in a vacuum. So Ralph made a previous point uh, in the, the previous segment uh, that you know, how do you actually get change management? And often for IT groups, it's, it's not a smooth process. There are often cost offsets You know, there's almost a zigzag pattern where you do a little bit there to to modernize in one area. You've got to do a cost offset in another. Uh, And because in each of those cases, um, I have to build trust with my stakeholders. Um, IT just does not sit in a vacuum. So in order to generate the outcomes, we're basically supporting our our mission partners uh, within FEMA. Um, uh, And uh, until they see results in their decision-making, how data analytical products uh, actually enhance those uh, decisions, and in fact they're making better decisions that lead to better measurable outcomes for our citizen survivors, um, then it just doesn't work. So um, um, I just just uh, thought that the uh, previous responders were just uh, really spot on in, in how they articulate the problem.
1: One of the things that I think, Ted, you bring up is, is very interesting is that, is that trust issue. But it's also this idea of if you're giving people dirt, dirty data or bad data, then the decisions are going to be bad or dirty or maybe not as good as you hope. Uh, I'll just open it up to anyone on the group here. Walk me through, is, is, are there ways to ensure your data is as clean as possible and then that can lead to better decisions? So, you know, one of the things that we're noticing in,
2: in the financial world, when you want to provide data of high trust, you audit. And that audit process takes an awful long time, but it allows people to have a high degree of trust that the data you've provided them to make a decision with is good. In the IT world, there's very rarely that audit step. Uh, in many cases, what we see is the um, data you get is from multiple sources and, and is conflicting. And one of the strengths of many of the CIOs that I've met is being able to sort through that various data and figure out, okay, this is the one that's good and this is the one that isn't. Um, And so, you know, I've also often wondered um, what it would be like if many organizations could put a really fast auditing um, process in place using whatever technology for the IT data they get so they have a better idea very quickly. Is the information I'm getting good or not and reliable? And if it's not, why not?
1: Ralph, we should open that up to our, our friends in, in uh, on the panel in the in the CIO world. So, uh, uh, Major General Barrett, I know you're not a quote unquote CIO, but uh, h- walk me through your how you guys deal with data because you have a lot, and if it's not good, that can obviously have some some huge consequences.
3: Yeah. So I I would say this is great conversation. Um, I would say at a certain point in time, I would have called uh, parts of our our system um we had a lot of data but it was falling on the floor you know and we weren't using it um and and my predecessor stood up a data science directorate here in order to deal with this issue uh, and start to get some familiarity with making data driven decisions but as we have continued down this road and continue to mature one of the things that really has come out and we talk about it all the time but but now I'm 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 a disciple of it. You do need somebody in the chief data officer, chief data management role, to really be thinking about how you're going to curate that data, how you're going to assess it for accuracy. There might be periods of time where our analytics uh, will re- will rely on. I'll just say 10 data points in order to give you a, an outcome or something that will drive a decision. And if you're only getting nine, now your confidence level still is pretty high. But if you're only getting five because some of the sensors are offline or the data is old and you're making a decision about, well, how, how old should this data be in order to drive a decision? That's going to have a range And if you don't have somebody dedicated to helping you think through that, not just the guys who are going to develop the analytics on the data, uh, but somebody who who understands that, your decision making off uh, this really sophisticated effort that you put together is going to be flawed. And so this is where we're at right now in terms of making better decisions with the data that we have.
1: Nicole, jump in here for a second and, and walk me through the data piece. I know the Bureau of Fiscal Service has been out in front in many regards with having, for instance, someone in your position, chief risk officer. They also, if you've, and you'll correct me if I'm wrong, I think we're one of the first ones to have a chief data officer of sorts. And you mentioned the data governance piece. How are you ensuring that data is, is in the right place at the right time to make those right decisions when it comes to risk?
5: Yeah, I, I would agree with Major General that one of the biggest things we've done is to hire a chief data officer, and that has really made a big difference. Now, because we weren't required to do that since we're not, uh, you know, we're, we're a Bureau of Mean Treasury, but we felt it was important because data is so um, critical, and, and we we are tasked with making public a lot of data, Spending.gov, and so on. Um, so just that, you know, putting even aside the internal Usage of data that uh, making public that external data is also very important. So we, we felt having a, a chief data officer was very important, um, and I think that you know um, I'd love to say that that we were out in front. I don't know that we were, but <laughs> so we're still I think figuring out. Um, you know how we're going to ensure that data is up-to-date and accurate and timely and reliable and all of those things. There's there's a very strong recognition that those things are needed. Um, and so I think one of the ways that we have looked to begin to tackle that is by having a data governance council, which I'm sure you know many agencies are looking into also. Um, and I think that that will be, so it'll be a little bit of a learning process for us to, you know, figure out for our agency, what the what the issues are around, um, you know, getting our data to a point where it can be used reliably. We are though very forward looking in being data driven in our decision making. And so we have already started looking at ways that we can use data to make decisions. We have a whole set of dashboards around um, our decision on when to return to the office and those are fed by data daily and we look at it weekly and make decisions on it. So um, things like that are how we're looking to continue to move forward in that space.
6: Hey Jason, I, I think one thing that would be a, a good um, thing to state, and I think Major Barrett or sorry, General Barrett said that, you know, you, you, you initially start with data collection and, and, and all this data sits on the floor because you got nobody to look at it. You don't know the quality. And the reality is, you don't have the leadership that's going to look at that they didn't make a decision. So what's the sense of giving them a report? They don't. They don't. They don't. They're not. They're not used to making a data-driven decision. So um, you know, one of the things that we've moved to, if we go back a little bit, just to say operational IT, is that we started collecting data to make a decision, and then that data was clearly biased based upon the, the decision that the um, that the user who was putting it all together wanted. And so uh, um, we've been really trying to look at uh, simplifying, because we have so much data, we're trying to look at it and simplify. Well, what decision are we trying to make? What are our three decisions? And if I could say one as an example, I would say, how redundant do we need our data storage to be? Right now, we have a high level redundancy. And then right right away the question came in, we don't really have a good picture of our data. You know, this is scientific data, clinical data, administrative data. Uh, sure, there's some record schedules that we can look at, but what's the value of the data? So then, then I think that started to kick off a much larger uh, analysis, a, a strategic plan around, we need to get a handle on, because we're spending so much money storing all this data, we need to get a handle on at least binning this data into very valuable, was valuable at some point, questionable value, really probably not valuable. And then we can buy the storage or the redundancies appropriately. So I think there's that, there's that cycle of data collection that you will get to, but, but to simplify it because we have, certainly have data management projects that are taking years. And then I'm like, what are these, what a question are we even trying to answer with all this stuff? And so if you were just to say, what are you trying to answer? In this case, how much redundancy do we have in our data storage on premise? And then how can we integrate the cloud into that? Okay. Let's start collecting data for that. So I think that's that's been helpful, and the risk part is a, is a big part because it's mostly around failure, right? Will the data fa- will the system fail? Will a user accidentally delete a whole bunch of data and we need to restore it, um, or will we have like a catastrophe that 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 we need some of this data online for? So again, I think it comes back to that that um, scenario planning, but it also uh, helps us with the what's our what's our what's just our failure rate. In, of these arrays or whatever, so I think there's that piece of it that if you just look at what are we trying to answer and collect data for those answers, then you're going to find a lot more other things you want to be able to answer to.
1: Ralph, let me bring you into this conversation because I think one of the challenges that agencies continue to face is exactly what we've heard from the, the panel so far. What are you seeing from your government clients? Are they starting to understand both the the value of the data, but even more importantly? where they're getting their data from, and they can say, okay, is this an accurate? Is it timely? What are some of the things you're starting to see from your government clients? I I think um, taking data science seriously
2: is clearly something that is at the top of mind for most uh, information technology and security professionals these days. I think uh, everybody understands both the criticality of getting accurate data and then matching the time cycle of your data to the risk or the decision you're trying to make, right? If I'm making a Asset management decision: Am I using the right software? Yeah, if I have ninety-day-old data, that's not going to kill me, right? If I'm trying to assess if an adversary is in my network, I might want something a little more like ninety seconds, not ninety days. And so, understanding the accuracy and the timeliness, being able to use data science to go back and validate and audit the data that you have, so and do it quickly or in in a time frame that matches the decision you're making, I'm beginning to see those best practices um, adopted across many different places in the federal government. And it's, it's you know very, very encouraging. Because I think what a lot of organizations have discovered is when they put that discipline in place, they're cleaning out kind of years of cobwebs, right? Decisions have been made this way and there's false rigor and the answers we've gotten haven't been optimal because we have operated on bad data. And now that we're going through and um, operationalizing the discipline to, to make that timely and accurate, um, a whole bunch of different decisions are getting made and that's that's leading to ultimately better outcomes for the, the citizen or the warfighter or whoever your mission partners are.
1: And I think that's really the end result here, the better outcomes. And And I think that's something we're going to look at in the next segment. So we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll continue our conversation. You're listening to the discussion, Technology Risk Management, Driving Federal Mission, Business, and Risk Decisions with Real-Time Data, sponsored by Tanium on Federal News Network.
0: Today's networks are more complex than ever before, and endpoints no longer reside solely within the bounds of the network firewall. The mission is executed beyond the perimeter. Compute is mobile. This complexity is driving increased risk across federal enterprises, but Tanium gives you the power to manage that technology risk with a single view of every endpoint, the power to identify and prioritize risks, and the power to take action to remediate in real time. Learn more at tanium.com. Welcome back. You're
1: listening to the discussion at technology risk management, driving federal mission, business, and risk decisions with real-time data, sponsored by Tanium on Federal News Network. I'm Jason Miller. My guests, they are Jeff Schilling, the CIO of the National Cancer Institute, Nicole Puri, the chief risk officer at the Bureau of Fiscal Service, Ted Okada, the chief technology officer at FEMA, Major General Maria Barrett, the commander of Army Network Command, and Ralph Khan, the vice president of federal at Tanium. Last segment, we talked a lot about data, ensuring you have good data, ensuring your data works, ensuring your data is there for decision makers. So let's take the next step. Okay, we have good data, or at least better data, Okay, we, we get the data to the decision makers. How do we ensure that those decisions that are made are carried out, they're implemented? This is very important, obviously, for security. But, Nicole, let me start from the broader perspective, since obviously you're, you look at this risk management from, a, from the enterprise-wide view as well. What is the Bureau of Fiscal Services process to say, just because we, okay, we made a decision, how do we ensure that decision goes from A to B to C?
5: Yeah, and, and we do use a risk process for that. Um, so I think um, the way that we approach it uh, is from multiple perspectives, because I don't think there's any one way that works perfectly. So you almost always have to have a couple different approaches. Um, I think probably as many agencies do, we, we assign owners to risks, right? So if we, if we identify something that needs an action and mitigation, we assign an owner to it, usually an executive owner. Um, and that starts the process off. From there uh, to kind of make sure that something is happening, you have to do some level of monitoring. So we look at our risks quarterly, we report on them, um, you know, all of our major technology and IT risks, which are you know, generally at the top of our portfolio list of risks, um, we, we make sure that we get updates on those uh, quarterly to make sure that progress is being made. Um, But I think in addition to that, and maybe more importantly, is how do you know that those um, decisions were the right ones? Or how do you know that the progress that's being made is the right type of progress or the right level of progress? And that's where I think you have to look to more of a continuous improvement perspective, right? So so what we're planning on doing, where we're just getting started on this now, is to take a look at, um, on an annual basis, whether or not what we identified as risks and and actions that we wanted to take against those are actually, again, contributing to outcomes, right? Talked a lot about outcomes today, and I think it really does come down to that. We can identify risks and talk about them all day long, but if we're not actually making progress on something, then what's the point? So we'll be looking at some of these decisions that we're making, are they really having the outcome that we intended them to have a year or more down the line? And if not, that's an indicator to kind of take a step back and say, maybe we need a different approach here. Um, So I think it's, you know, there's kind of multiple ways to look at this, but hopefully you hone in on the right answers over time by, you know, tackling it from different perspectives.
1: Now, Nicole, uh, let let me pick on you for a second. Uh, it sounds like quarterly reports, year long, it seems like, wow, things change so much, especially in technology. Uh, help me understand a little bit more. I mean, yes, these are maybe the check-in times, but I imagine if something big happens, it's daily, it's, it's hourly, it's, it's, it's more often check-ins. Walk me through that process too.
5: Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, our, our IT department definitely is managing risks and making decisions on a daily basis. Um, and, and we have a number of tools that allow us to do that internally. The, all, all of those things don't rise to the level of talking about them, um, you know, every day, though, or I guess what I'm saying is, um, a lot of what I focus on are things that impact, you know, the, the bureau as a whole. And so looking at them, you know, less frequently um, is okay. And that's, that's part of the decision making. But yeah, no, we absolutely have um, an IT department that does that and I think does that very well. So what they do is they maintain their own processes for, um, you know, how they determine what's important at any given time, how they um, are going to act on it. And then that gets reported up. Through various processes, through what I do and through other forums. Um, and so, again, it is still a feedback loop, um, but I think that there are, because our executives meet regularly, there are more regular feedback loops to be able to say, yeah, that is the right decision. We want to continue, or let's take a step back and relook at this.
1: I, I kind of uh, knew the answer to that, by the way. Yeah.
6: Hey, Jason, I, Jason, I wanted to add this, Jeff. I wanted to add that, you know, I think IT and ITIL it has a lot of very acute management capabilities in it. So when people do just standard uh, IT service management and they use ITIL, they're able to address the day-to-day, this system is down, I need to get it up and things like that. That's where I don't think the risk management really is even required for us. Generally, um, where it is needed is this long haul. This system is old, this technical debt uh, that Ted has talked about. And, and, and leadership just says, it seems like it's fine to us. Why are we going to spend millions of dollars fixing this whole thing? It's like, and they, they, they're not, they don't care about all the extra hours everybody's put in to keep it up and running. It's up and running. And so I think that what the risk, the risk framework gives us is a much uh, larger, or it gives us a clarity to leadership on a future that they would not like if they don't address this today. And I think that's where it's really said. So that's why Nicole mentioning that it's quarterly or, or you know even annual reports to say, are we moving and are we, are we removing this risk? Because risk is accumulating too, right? It, we have new threat vectors, we have new things that we have to do. And so we're taking on risk because if, even if we don't do them, that's more risky. The, the American public expects to have this information Right? Ted Ted would say that big time. He would be like, well, what's going on? Why isn't FEMA telling us what's going on? It's like, well, FEMA communicates to the states and the states aren't telling you, but FEMA maybe hasn't worked with the states to build up their communication, their communication methodologies and their communication technology. So to me, I, I think the threats are accumulating. And if you don't remove them with this at the same rate or greater, you're going to be in a bad place. But the but the IT, uh, the IT services area is very mature. We can keep these systems up and running. Are they functioning to the mission? That's the question.
2: So to piggyback that on that a little bit. So, you know, back to the um, auditing comment from earlier, you know, when people see a report from a piece of technology, most of the times they assume it, it's correct. And so One of the things that we've observed is a lot of the legacy, for instance, a lot of the legacy patching software will say, yes, you're patched. And then you go back and check and you realize, oh my, that patch may have been delivered, but it didn't take. Or your your security suite says, yes, we're configured and all the controls are set appropriately per your policy. And then you go back and check and you discover, oh, well, 15% of them have atrophied over time and they're no longer set correctly. And without going back to that auditing capability, um, oftentimes we get lured into a false sense of security because the, the program is telling us, the report's telling us, oh, yes, everything's good. But in reality, as, as Jeff mentioned, risk drifts over time. <laughs> you, you, you accumulate new risk and you um, need to kind of go back and check it frequently, particularly in areas like cyber, where if you're unpatched for a day, you're fine. But if you're unpatched for 90 days, that's a much bigger issue. Same thing for your security controls. If you're Paying a lot of people money and you're paying a lot of money for security software, but it's not staying configured, that creates a pretty significant risk from a cyber perspective.
4: Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. I mean, the, the, this idea of accumulating risk is almost like cognitive load, right? At a certain point, uh, people get overwhelmed. I mean, and this is a leadership issue. So, in other words, um, uh, you can get to a state of moral hazard. And what is the moral hazard? It's nothing more than an asymmetry of information. Is basically hidden risk. You know, we like to say, um, yeah, at least I say to my team and others. You know, uh, managers execute against certainty, but leaders execute against uncertainty. So the challenge is, I think the point that Nicole made: if you're going to do continuous improvement, you know, what that's kind of like fast fail. How do we get to a fast fail state? Um, fail small, fail often. I mean, that's a that's been a trite term for a long time. You know, in government and industry. Uh, but that's like your minimal viable product so we're we're moving away from um sort of a passive uh continuous diagnostic monitoring to more active testing but that requires the leadership that's your whole point about auditing i shouldn't trust a single pane of glass you know because if i said i want everything on a single plane of glass that you've already just made a decision to fail because you're going to get hit in risk it takes effort to actually interrogate data and I think the to the previous uh, conversation about data, uh, we're getting so much right. The data exhaust is overwhelming, and there's a cost that's associated with the hygiene to fix null values, missing values, etc. So um, you know, we also like to say the you know, big data checks big data, and I think in that world where we have to be comfortable with uncertainty, inferential models, right? You know, statistical significance. I think uh, you know, General Barrett that mentioned confidence, right? How much confidence? do we have in the data? Uh, And I think that's the future for us as government leaders. We have to be really comfortable with uncertainty. And in fact, that's a leadership quality that's more and more being pushed down into the ranks, right? It's no longer your top agency head that has to manage uncertainty. That uncertainty has to be managed all through uh, the staffing structure of an organization. And that is probably the biggest challenge that we face in the years ahead.
1: Major General Barrett, we're just running uh, up, up against the clock here. So let me just bring you into this uh, discussion in this segment here. We've we got into the cyber area a little bit, the technical debt side. That Ralph brought up this idea of if you're not configured correctly or you think you are but you're not, walk me through how, when you guys are using data to ensure that data is correct and it's in the, in the decision is being carried out, that becomes even more important as you, you know, for, for, for serving the warfighter, for ser- serving the Army's mission.
3: So I, I could talk about comply to connect, continuous monitoring, zero trust, all concepts and things that would help us. But I think bringing it back to the data theme, really have to think about data not as um, looking at trees. You've got to see the forest. And so a singular, I don't want to be chasing singular vulnerabilities. I need to be, I don't want to just be, Um, chasing a singular high CVSS score vulnerability. I need to be looking at how a combination of medium CVSS, this has to be a more flexible and agile um, way in which we analyze the risk, the accumulated risk on our networks in order to make those decisions. And so to the extent in which we can automate them and, and make a very sophisticated um, view of the data, uh, that we're using to make these decisions and not these very, um, serial decisions about let's close, um, vulnerability X. That's where we need to be. And that's where we're driving towards.
1: All right. There's so much more to talk about, but unfortunately we are out of time for today. So first let me thank my guests, Jeff Schilling, the chief information officer at the National Cancer Institute at the National Institutes of Health. Nicole Puri, the Chief Risk Officer at the Bureau of Fiscal Service at the Treasury Department. Ted Okada, the Chief Technology Officer at FEMA at the Homeland Security Department. Major General Maria Barrett, the Commander of the Army Network Command. And Ralph Kahn, the Vice President of Federal at Tanium. Everyone, thank you so much for taking the time today. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to the panel discussion at Technology Risk Management, Driving Federal Mission, Business, and Risk Decisions with Real-Time Data, sponsored by Tanium on Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search Tanium.
0: Thank you for listening to the panel discussion, Technology Risk Management, driving federal mission, business, and risk decisions with real-time data. Sponsored by Tanium on Federal News Network. Today's networks are more complex than ever before, and endpoints no longer reside solely within the bounds of the network firewall. The mission is executed beyond the perimeter. Compute is mobile. This complexity is driving increased risk across federal enterprises, but Tanium gives you the power to manage that technology risk with a single view of every endpoint, the power to identify and prioritize risks, and the power to take action to remediate in real time. Learn more at Tanium.com. Federal News Radio is now Federal News Network. All the intel you need, all in one place. Technology. Ask the CIO. Defense. On DOD. Pay and benefits, breaking news, and daily headlines. On air at 1500 a.m. Email alerts, e-books, videos, webinars, and more at federalnewsnetwork.com.